Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. You know, Mike, one of the stories you did during the, the news, that just it's kind of an object lesson, was the story about those folks in Waukesha. Yeah. It, it's, it's now been a year since they were forced out of their condo because the condo was essentially unlivable. They're, they've been having ongoing problems, and they're afraid it was going to collapse. So authorities came in, and they've essentially condemned it. And the folks, I mean, they've got their mortgages and things like that, and they've applied for insurance, and the insurance company has said no, and a judge, at least so far, has, has supported the insurance company. It, it's really kind of an object lesson out there. And I'm, For example, I'm on the, the, I live in a condo, and we, I'm on the condo board, and it's... It's one of the, these things. Insurance covers a, a, a healthy tree falls over in a windstorm and takes out your roof. It covers that. On the other hand, if you just let your roof deteriorate and deteriorate and then rain comes along and, you know, because the roof has been allowed to deteriorate, you get water damage, it's not necessarily going to be covered. Insurance doesn't cover if you don't do, like, routine maintenance and stuff. And that's one of the things that anybody who lives in a condo – but between the Waukesha thing and the collapse they had in, in Miami mm-hmm. um, last year or two years ago or whatever, you, you've you've got to do the routine maintenance, and nobody likes to pay for that. Nobody likes to have you know money set aside every month for like routine maintenance and keeping stuff up. But this is the flip side. If you don't do that, and the building deteriorates, and you allow the building to deteriorate, you're, you're going to be out of luck. My heart goes out to these folks, but because they they've lost their homes. They still have the mortgages mm-hmm. for those of them who haven't paid them off on on this place that you can no longer live in. So short of bankruptcy, you don't know what their alternative is. You know, yeah, if you were a higher or if you were hoping this would create a little nest egg for you or something along those lines, yeah, it, you're just going to be completely wiped out. What it reminds me a lot of uh, is covering city governments, especially some of these smaller city governments with older infrastructure it's expensive to do the routine maintenance to you know fix the water pipes right. and the roads and things, but you know a, a failure begets failure begets failure, and then all of a sudden now instead of looking at spending you know, ten million a year, now you're looking at spending eighty million at one single time, and I, I can't like uncorrelate those two no. well, things. Well, I mean, we we just had our our board of directors our annual condo meeting, and and one of the things that this is you know we ended up having to raise the the rates and stuff but one of the things nowadays that you have to have done if you live in a condo is essentially a reserve study which is where you hire somebody that comes out and says okay this is the age of your building um your whether it's a high rise or whether it's you know side by side units or whatever these are these are the needs that you're going to have over the next okay if the life expectancy of your roof is 30 years Okay, well, that means, and your and your building is fifteen years old. That means you know you got to be setting aside money so that you can deal with this, and you got to have a reserve study, and you have to you have to finance it because, like I say, a lot of insurers and a lot of lenders now are looking at these things, and they're saying, okay, well, you know, we we don't want to lend the money if 
the, this work hasn't been done and there's no plan to do the work. But what happens a lot of times, like in the Miami case, you know, they knew that they had all these problems, mm-hmm. but nobody wanted to contribute money. Nobody wanted to pay the money to set aside the, the stuff that you needed to deal with it. It's like the reverse not in my backyard. It's like if, if this is going to directly impact me and it's going to improve my way of life, I'm all in. But if it's going to help the east side of the building or whatever it is, yeah, it might be a little bit more difficult to fork up that money. That's why I keep going back to the, you know, the the, the street uh, right. underneath the roads where you can't see it, and it's not sexy to do, and it's hard to to, to fork right. up money on a not sexy project. Right. We're the people, you know, in, in a condo comp. Let, let's take a let's take a building. You, you've got people with different expectations. Like for example, let's say you you, you know you're going to need. To have structural, you need a new roof. Let's take it in the most simple category. You know that within the next ten years you're going to need a new roof. Well, you got a lot of people who are there saying, "I'm not going to be here in ten years." You know, I, my my time horizon is we'll be selling in the next two or three years. Why should I contribute money now for something that I'm not going to be around for? And, and of course, the argument is, well, when you go to sell your building, people are going to look at this and see, okay, where, where is that coming? But that's the arg- argument you face. Why well, I, I don't want to pay for I don't want to pay for something I'm not going to use or might not need. And the problem is. Then something bad happens with the roof or a structural problem, and, and everybody's out of luck. It's kind of one of those unspoken contracts you get into, right? When you decide it's, to buy a condo, it's, you, you're going to be spending. It's a different sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, you're going to be spending a little bit of money, and it's not always going to benefit you, but it's going to benefit the whole. And when you live in a, a building that houses 40, yeah. 40 units, I think this one was in Waukesha, that's kind of the price you're going to have to pay and just you know eat that sunk cost a little bit. Yeah, now the interesting thing for, for me is I, I, don't, I understand the ruling on the insurance company. What this sounds to me like it was a long-term problem, and I, I just I wonder weren't weren't there inspections that were done? You would, but before people buy homes, you know, including condos, you have inspections that are done. You look at this type of stuff. I mean, did that? That's the thing. That, the one thing that's surprising me not not is it covered or not covered by insurance? I understand why they're saying it's not covered, but where where were the the inspectors and and didn't we know? how bad this was and especially for the people that might have bought in the last couple of years you know is, isn't there some inspector that said hey we've got some real structural problems here you never want to victim blame at all because I, I can't imagine this you know it's, it's right before the yeah. holidays last year you lose everything i think they, each resident was allowed to go in for 40 Awful, minutes yeah. or something like that one time to get what they could and and get out of there but you know you you, you especially in this housing market you've had people forego inspections you've had people Say, I know there's going to be some issues, but maybe they're not as bad as the inspector saying, and I'm going to go ahead and take that risk anyway. So that that could have possibly played into what's going on. See, that was my indirect way of saying that. Like I said, we, we raised our condo fees a little bit, and I voted for it. And actually, that that's that's kind of like the justification for it. It's like we, you know, you, you have to have these reserves that are there because first of all, you don't want to let the buildings deteriorate, and, and secondly, you want to also avoid this huge hit down down the line. I mean, at some point in time, you're going to need to have new roofs that are there, and, and maybe you don't have all that you need in the reserves, but a special assessment of two grand is a lot better than a special assessment of 20 grand. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like a certain county's issues with the pension system. Yeah, could be, <laughs> could be. There you go. So that's, that, but that story really caught my attention. All right, tough love. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. There is a piece in the Wall Street Journal that I think is a, a message for Republicans. If they want to win elections, particularly elections in states where, like Wisconsin, where the electorate is extremely, extremely divided. 
And let me just say this. I know that there are a lot of you, because you have called in and you have texted me, who don't like the fact that we have gone to early voting and mail voting and things of, of the like, mail, M-A-I-L, voting. Um, I, I understand there's some people who think, oh, you should only be able to vote on Election Day. Okay, well, I understand that, but that is not the way the world works anymore. The, the movement has been to increase access to the ballots, and that means more and more people are going to vote early voting, or vote by mail. And the reality, this is the reality, and this is the tough love here. The reality is that's not going to change. For everybody who says, well, I think we should pass a law, and the law says that you can only vote on Election Day, that, that's that's not going to happen. We, we've, we've moved past that. That is just the reality. And nowadays, we, we've seen that early voting and absentee voting has become very, very popular. Um, here's the deal. I mean, huge numbers of people, and I was just pulling the numbers that are, are looking at early voting. Um, the estimates from one of these outfits says that about 55% of early voters were Democrats, less than 34.5% were Republicans. Okay, so that's, that, that is, that is the reality of this. Democrats use early voting more than Republicans do. Now, you can say, I don't like that. You can say, well, I think it opens the doors to fraud. Okay, you can say that. But the reality is it's not going to change. We're, we're not going to go back and say you only can vote on Election Day. That, that's, that is a phenomena whose time has come and gone. So recognizing that, I think that instead of Republicans complaining about, well, it's too easy to vote. And, and I, I understand the issues with ballot harvesting and things like that. But rather than complaining about, well, it's too easy to vote, I don't think people should vote mail-in and stuff, which is really just like screaming into the wind because you're not doing anything, I think moving forward, what Republicans need to do, especially in states like Wisconsin, is they need to get better at the early voting. Understand this is what the other side is doing. This is what the Democrats are doing, and they're very, very good at it. It's easier in some respects for Democrats to do it because in Wisconsin, for example, Democrats are are clustered. Most of the state geographically is Republican, but you have a high number of Democrats who live in Madison and who live in Milwaukee. So it's easier to go door to door and make sure people have signed up and make sure they've gotten the ballot and then follow up with, hey, did you vote and all those things. It's easier for Democrats to turn out their base because people live closer together. But for all the Republicans that are out there that are complaining, well, you know, we don't like this, we don't think it's fair, we, don't, we think it's too likely to fraud, what you have to do is realize that the game has changed. And if you're going to be competitive, what you need to do is figure out a way to not rely exclusively on your voters turning out on Election Day. You've got to get ballots in people's hands. You've got to... Do the follow-up to make sure that if they've gotten those ballots, they cast them, whether they walk to the polls on Election Day and do it or whether they send the ballot in. The Democrats have gotten very good at that. The Republicans stink at that. And unless and until there is a sea change in attitude, figuring out how can Republicans increase the number of people who are going to vote early, you're going to lose elections. 
855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I, I think as much as anything else, as much as problems with candidates, as much as money, I think one of the big reasons that the red wave did not hit is that Republicans did a lousy job, not necessarily a voter turnout, but of that early voting, which guarantees the ballots are there. 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, look here, here's the reality, and this is some tough love. The Democrats are much better. At, at early voting than Republicans are much, much better. And in close states like Wisconsin, that makes the difference. You get people, you get the ballots in their hand. You don't have to rely on them showing up on Election Day. And I think that makes the difference in some close races. I, I don't know that that would have made the whole difference in the Evers-Michaels race, but um, it, it darn near it darn near swung the, the pendulum in the Mandela-Barnes-Ron Johnson race. Republicans need to get, in my opinion, better at getting people who are going to vote early so they're not as dependent on getting people out on Election Day. Let's start with Andrew in Waukesha. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So this argument that we just need to get better is a fallacy. If you want more absentee voting, you're going to get absentee government. Ask yourself, how many of you want your representatives voting absentee instead of going to Madison, being there in person? Because a democracy means being present. It means being actually able to look somebody in the eye and debate them. Okay, Andrew, 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 real real world, Andrew, real world. People vote early. People vote absentee. That is how people are chosen. If Republicans don't do as good a job of getting their voters to vote absentee as the Democrats do, Republicans aren't going to get elected. This, I, what does this have to do Here's with the real world? Yeah, go ahead. If I offer a child ice cream for dinner instead of vegetables and a protein, they're going to eat the ice cream. That's the real world. Democracy means having a quorum. That's why we have our representatives there in person. Now, if you want to allow them to just virtually vote on their phones, then that's not a democracy. That's virtual government. Okay, Andrew, I I don't know if – maybe we're talking around each other, I hope. I'm talking about voting to select people. Not do, do can you – you know, can you vote by sitting – do you have to go to Madison to vote? (laughs) The the, – for elections – the truth of the matter is, and, and again, I understand people argue that voters should have to show up on Election Day. That is not the way of the world. And we're, we're not going back. We're not going back to that. We're not going to roll back the rights of people to early vote. We're not going right, to roll back the rights of people to mail vote. As a matter of fact, if anything, I think moving forward, you're going to see more people who are going to be allowed to vote on the Internet and stuff like that, which I don't think is a good idea. But I'm telling you, political parties need to adapt to the reality. You can't be like generals in the military always fighting the last war. You have to understand where the electorate is. And we, we see this time and time again. And, and the Democrats have gotten good at that, much better than Republicans, of identifying where their voters are, doing the ground game, making sure that people have ballots in their hands, and making sure 
that, okay, you, you do the follow-up. Hey, did you order that ballot? Can we help you get the ballot? Have you sent the ballot in? Doing that kind of follow-up. And once you make sure that somebody's voted, whether it's by mail or early voting, then you don't have to worry about, hey, how do you feel? It's election day. Let, let's get you out. And are, will, are you willing to stand in line for two hours? It's just the reality that is out there. And, I mean, here, here I, I pulled up the numbers here. Okay, in the last election... 46 million voters cast their ballots before Election Day. Now, this is nationwide, not just Wisconsin. That's 37% of the total voters, okay? So you've got, let's round up, almost 40% of the people are voting before Election Day. And a larger percentage of Democrats are voting early than Republicans are. Republicans have to even that out. They're giving up a huge, huge opportunity. Now, I understand it's tougher. I'll let smarter people than me figure out how it is that you can increase the Republican turnout by this early voting. But if we just simply say, oh, we don't like the fact that the Democrats can, you know, vote by mail or things like this. okay, that's fine. You can complain about it, but you're going to lose elections. Doug in Port Washington. Doug, you're on WTMJ. I agree with you entirely on this issue. This is a selling issue. I'm a sales manager. I spend my time telling people to close the deal. What Republicans are not doing by waiting until the last minute, by waiting until and counting on people showing up, is closing the deal. Mm -hmm. The earlier you close the deal, get those votes in, you're right. You can then focus your effort on those last few people as the days get uh, closer to Election Day. The more you count on the weather being good, people not getting sick, all these other things, you're asking for trouble. Close the deal as early as you can close the deal. Get it done. Yeah, exactly. And then you don't have to worry about it. You know, you you identify somebody who is one of your voters. You say, okay, well, do you have a do you have a ballot? Well, no, I I don't. Well, here's here's how you can get a ballot. You can still vote early, but they'll send it to you. You can fill it out. You can send it back in. Then you follow up with that person three weeks later. Did you get the ballot? Yeah, I did. I filled it out. I sent it in. You cross that person off. You don't have to worry about them turning out. It's exactly like you've said. You've 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 made the sale. You don't have to keep coming back and and hoping that they're going to show up. And and like I say, the Democrats are much better than the Republicans at doing this. And some people just don't like it, but it's the reality that we live in now. Well, I go that other step of once you've closed those sales, now you can focus on closing those sales of the people that aren't necessarily yes. your voter, and you can actually. Spend the time, effort, and money on those people, yep. not the people that you now have their vote. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're exactly right. Thanks for the call. Uh, Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. I agree with the previous caller. Close the deal as possible, as early as possible, because I was in sales also, and that's the main thing. And uh, Republicans need to get those early votes and vote in mail, uh, get people to accept right. the idea. And on the other hand, uh, they need better ad writers. The Democrats have better ad writers. Our ads suck. <laughs> well, they, they, I, I get. I, I don't want to go down that route. But, but and look, and I appreciate it's more of a challenge. It, it's it's easier for Democrats to do this because Democrats are clustered in a couple parts of the state. Democrats, you know, by and large, and I, look, and I appreciate there's Democrats all over the state. But you know, the the big the big strongholds are Milwaukee, the city of, and Milwaukee County, and and. 
Madison, the city of, and, and Dane County. So it's it's easier to do that. You've got high concentration. You get into some of these big apartment buildings or whatever. People are clustered, so it's easier to go door to door and do this. It's tougher in the more rural areas, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. It means you probably got to spend more money, you know, hiring people who are willing to do it, but you've got to do that follow-up. And I think that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why you've seen Republican turnout. And look, Washington and Ozaki and Waukesha County, for example, the Wow counties, they they remain heavily Republican, but the amount of participation has gone down. And I think that's partly because the Republican Party has not adapted like it should. Tough love but this is the reality. You've got to change with the times. And for the new Republican leadership in the state of Wisconsin, they better wake up and they better wake up quickly. Okay, one of my favorite story of the day. What is it? Okay, so cryptocurrency, of course, and it, and, and I have been saying for, I remember during the Super Bowl ads, mm-hmm. it's like Matt Damon on, and Larry David, if you don't, if you're not on the cryptocurrency, you're like some, you, you think the, the earth is flat and stuff like that. And I was always, okay, then I was one of those flat earthers because I never understood cryptocurrency. I I just, it seemed to me to be like a giant Ponzi scheme where you're buying something that's worth nothing. It's only worth, you only make money if you can, if I, if I buy it for $100 a unit and I can convince you to buy it for $125 a unit. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't make anything. I, I just, and look, I. I just that's just how I approached it. But this was the thing. So one of the the big cryptocurrency exchanges, of course, was this FTX, which is now just completely and totally imploded. People have lost billions of dollars and it's threatening to take the whole cryptocurrency market underground. Well, the story is um, last year, FTX, which is the big cryptocurrency exchange, signed a 10 to 20 year deal with Miami Dade County for the naming rights for the arena where the Miami Heat play. It used to be the it used to be the American Airlines Center. Yep. American Airlines didn't renew their sponsorship. So just like here, you know, the Bucks play at the Pfizer Forum. So Miami Dade County went out and they signed a hundred, I think it's a 10 year deal for $135 million, and it's the FTX arena. At least it was the FTX arena. It was the FTX arena for one year. And now, because FTX has gone bankrupt and has ripped off thousands and thousands of people, um, Miami-Dade has canceled the deal with FTX. And, you know, whether FTX is on the hook or not, but they don't have any money because they're going to be going to bankruptcy. So now they're desperately, Miami-Dade is desperately scrambling around to try to find some new sponsor that will pick up the naming rights. Right. The the leading candidate, there's apparently there's a place called there's an entity called Bang Brothers, which is offering (laughs) 10 million dollars for the naming rights for for one year. So it would be, hey, the Bucks are traveling to Miami. Here we are at the Bang Brothers Auditorium Arena, you know, for the the game. So they're offering 10 million, 10 million dollars cash up front. Bang Brothers is, no, it's not a fireworks, it's not a furniture store, it's not a fireworks stand. It's an adult pornography website, and they're offering $10 million for the naming rights, and apparently they're the high bidder right now. At least you know they're probably good for it. <laughs> I mean, there's an established business model with the industry that they're in and the right. product and, and, has value. Well, or at least there, there's always going to be a demand for yeah. the product. It's, 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 you know... 
one of the oldest professions around. But this is kind of the thing. I, I know they, I was going back and I was looking at all this. Everybody was celebrating. Oh, we got this big deal with FTX mm-hmm. and this is going to be great. And cryptocurrency is going to be the next thing. And now you're. You, you might be the Bang Brothers arena. Oh, it's a precipitous fall. You know what else is funny? I, I believe it was the first game that FTX Arena or Forum, whatever it was, hosted. They gave, like, the first however many thousand fans, their giveaway was, like, a piece of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or whatever it was, and everyone celebrated. So I don't think it's worth very much at the moment. And hopefully <laughs> the people who got it for free sold it and sold it made and a got, little bit of money. Got a little bit. they could out of it. Yeah, that, that was one where I just, you know, and... You've got Larry David and Matt Damon telling you that you're an idiot if you're not investing in this. And I just I wonder if they took their payments in cryptocurrency. Oh, you're if you're them, you hope if they did, their agents are probably getting some angry phone calls. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't need new money. The regular money is fine. It works exactly with me. All right. As long as we're talking about tough love, when we come back, is it time for Madison to change its thinking with regard to Milwaukee? Stick around. Yeah, the other big stadium is the Crypto.com Arena, and that, that's in Los Angeles. That's the used to be the Staples Center, and uh, it stopped being the Staples Center in December of 2021. So it's been the Crypto.com Arena for about a year in Los Angeles. It's where the Lakers played. Lakers actually in Milwaukee tonight to play the Bucks. Uh, but you, you just kind of wonder, given what's going on, with the whole world of cryptocurrency and the spectacular flame out of FTX and all that, you have to wonder how long that's going to be viable as well. Okay, we're, we're in the category of tough love for the, this segment of the program. Here, here, here is the thing. Um, Milwaukee, the city of, and Milwaukee County is, for all intents and purposes, it's broke. You know, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's you, you can argue that there's wasteful spending that's going on. I'm not going to argue that. You can argue that you've got you know these these pension obligations which are absolutely unworkable. You know that's true as well. But at the same time, you have this reality. There's not enough police officers on the street. The infrastructure is aging and needs lots of work. And at the end of the day. There's just not enough money that is there. One of the things that Milwaukee, the city of, and the county have been asking for years is they have been asking the state, and the way the state law works is the state has to allow them, if they want to increase the sales tax, and and right now Milwaukee County um, is able to impose a uh, 0.5% sales tax on on residents or people who purchase stuff in the county. That's on top of the 5% state sales tax, okay? So what Milwaukee, the city of, and the county want to do is they want to add a second 0.5% sales tax. They say, okay, we want to increase our sales tax because we want to use that extra revenue to deal with some of the shortfalls that we have. Before that could happen, the legislature would have to give them the green light to have a binding referendum. And then voters would have ultimately the opportunity to decide whether or not they were willing to impose this increased sales tax. So if you got the go-ahead from the legislature, it wouldn't automatically happen. Ultimately, the people who live in Milwaukee, the city of, and Milwaukee County would have to be convinced that, yes, we, we want to raise our sales tax. 
Now, I admit it doesn't just affect people who live um, in Milwaukee County. It affects people theoretically who work in Milwaukee County who would buy something here. But but the bottom line is the voters would have to decide that. Now, for years, the Republicans and state legislature have said this is a non-starter. This is not going to happen. Why? Because they are concerned with some legitimate points about fiscal irresponsibility, the way the Milwaukee County Board has over the years just, you know, peed away money, the way that the city of Milwaukee has handled this. So there's concerns about financial irresponsibility and things like that and other problems. But at at the end of the day, the reality is that the city of Milwaukee needs more money. Milwaukee County needs more money. And if the people who live in Milwaukee County or live in the city of Milwaukee, if they decide that one of the ways to handle some of the financial burdens they have is by raising their own taxes, I, for the life of me, think it's time for the legislature to say, okay, fine, we're going to do that. We're, we're, if I was a Republican in the state legislature, I'd say, look, I, I'm, I'm tired of, of having Every time there is a problem, you have people in Milwaukee come out and say, well, this is all the legislature's fault. Crime is out of control because we can't hire enough police officers, and it's the legislature's fault because they won't let us increase our sales tax. If nothing else, just to make that argument go away, my response would be, okay, fine. If the voters want to, just like with school referendums, if you can convince voters, all right, we want to raise our property taxes because we want to spend more money on this public school or whatever, if the voters decide to do that, I, I, go with God. To me, I think as part of the spirit of cooperation over the next couple of years and to try to move past some issues which have been out there forever, Governor Evers apparently thinks this is a good idea. Leaders in the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County think it's a good idea. I think it's time for the Republicans and the legislature to get out of the way and to simply say, okay, fine, voters in the city of Milwaukee, voters in Milwaukee County, if you want to raise your sales tax, go ahead. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I mean, isn't this the ultimate local control? And and that not that what you know, conservatives are supposed to be all about. And if voters want to raise their taxes, I mean, heck, I'd like to have an opportunity to directly vote on whether or not I could raise or lower taxes. But in this case, if the voters decide they want to do it, should we say no? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I, I, I'm getting a lot of texts from people who say, well, you know, do, do you understand how irresponsible Milwaukee is with, with money? And, and look, look, at, look at some of the stuff they've paid money for. Look how many millions of dollars went to the Office of Violence Prevention, and we, we got nothing out of it. I, I understand that, that you've had lots of money that's squandered. But at the same time, and I can't guarantee you that they're going to spend it effectively in the future. But shouldn't that be a decision that the local community makes? And, and, and this... Again, this is it's the direct sort of thing. And I thought conservatives were supposed to be all about, you know, local control. This is the ultimate local control. You want you want to raise your taxes. Okay, we're going to let the voters decide. Let's talk to Earl on the northwest side. Earl. Hello. Hello. This is this is what has been so frustrating under Mayor Tom Barrett and then County Executive Chris Abley. Many cities comparable to the city of Milwaukee have been allowed to raise mm-hmm. 
those taxes. Yep. And the fact that the state of Wisconsin has chosen to obstruct and to say to to people like myself, who's a homeowner, a property, a property owner, and a taxpayer in this city, that somebody in Madison should have control over what happens and whether or not the money is spent uh, irresponsibly based on somebody who doesn't even live in this city is the problem. The fact that that's not their business. You know, I've heard people say, well, they've got their trolley. They should get rid of the trolley before we give them any. This, this is not a matter of them giving us anything. Give us an opportunity to make sure you, you can, on the one hand, say they don't want more police officers. When when those of us who live here know full well that that the the pensions of police, fire, and others are going to continue to consume our mm-hmm. budget and then say that we can't raise any additional funds to pay for that. Uh, Earl, I... I is it a, no, I'm, Earl, thank you. It's an amazing thing. No, th- thanks for calling. Earl, you and I, we we agree on this. I'm not sure there's a lot of stuff we agree on, but I, I, I agree with you. This is, and you are exactly right, there are a number of counties in Wisconsin which have been given the right to increase their, their sales tax you know, above that, uh, above that, that zero point five percent, and and to me, like I say, this it can't be done unless the voters of the community go along with this. It's not like we're saying, hey, we're going to allow the Milwaukee Common Council to make that decision, or we're going to allow the Milwaukee County Board, God save us, to to make that decision. It's it's you have to have a referendum, and the voters have to approve it. And so the powers that be have to go to the community and say, okay, this is the justification. Now, you know, one of our texters said, okay, Jeff, come on, let's get real. Many of the people in the city and county pay virtually nothing in taxes and have voted idiots into office. So, yeah, let's ask them to vote on taxing the rest of us. Don't do this. It's bad for business, and it's anti-growth. Oh, oh okay, um, and then the texture goes on to say, how about the city encourage development of the tax base onto many empty lots and redevelopment some of the neighborhoods? I, I mean, I don't, I don't see allowing the county or allowing the city to raise the sales tax by 0.5%. I don't see that as being mutually exclusive. Yeah, they're going to have to do other things, whether it's redevelopment or whatever. But I guess I just come back to this. It, look, we, we have school referendums. This is nothing but the equivalent of a school referendum. If you want to argue, well, we, we shouldn't allow people to raise their taxes in that respect, well, um, okay, but we do. We, we allow people to make those decisions. It is the ultimate when it comes to local control. And I guess I look at this and I say, look, if we're trying to figure out ways to move the conversation along, and I, for one, somebody who has done this full of part-time on the radio around here for 28 years. There, there, there are certain times I just think we're stuck in the mud and we're spinning the, our wheels and, and we have the same discussions over and over and over again. You've got city of leaders, you've got county leaders, and you've got the Democrat governor who says, no, this is we, we need to allow people to do this. You've got the Republicans in the legislature, very few of whom represent any portions of Milwaukee County at all, who are in the position of saying, no, we're not going to do it. I, I think Sometimes you got to move beyond this, and you have to figure out, okay, where can we reach common ground? To me, this is somewhat of an easy one. It's like, okay, you know, if the people of the city of Milwaukee or the people of Milwaukee County decide collectively that they want to pay more in sales tax, 
And if the people who are pushing this can sell the voters on this, to me it's easy. If I'm if I'm a Republican representative from Sheboygan or from Fond du Lac, I'm like, well, what do I really care? I mean, if if if, if people in Milwaukee want to pay more in a sales tax because they think it's going to make their community better, they think they're going to be hire, able to hire more cops. So maybe it's true that they're going to get that money and they're just going to pee it away like they've peed it away on, I think, a lot of other projects, Office of Violence Prevention being a good example of it. Okay, well, then then maybe the voters can hold people accountable. But if I'm in Sheboygan or I'm in Fond du Lac or wherever, and I'm a Republican representative, my attitude is, Okay, if, if if they want to pay more, that's fine. Nobody is holding a gun to my head and saying that I have to drive down to Milwaukee County and I have to buy something and pay that extra 0.5% in sales tax. And so that's and, – and by the way, I appreciate our texter who says, well, this is kind of anti-growth and, and maybe businesses are going to oppose that. Well, okay, that's a decision that you put out there. But if we're trying to move the ball down the field and advance the dialogue, to me this is an easy one. And if nothing else, it takes it makes this issue go away. And after having this issue out there for the last decade, it's one that I think we should be able to agree that it's time to move on. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I label this topic, when you got to go, you got to go. And I, I saved this, didn't want to do it during the 12 o'clock hour, because I know we have lots of listeners who are listening to the program while they're eating their lunch and stuff. And this is not necessarily an eating your lunch type of topic. Here's the deal. There is... There is a problem with homelessness in this country, in this state, and certainly in in this community. And we've talked about that before. I personally believe that we we as a society do not do people any favors by allowing them to just create homeless encampments wherever people want. And and we had this problem a couple years ago when you had the tent city, and I say that in quotation marks, that that sprung up under the freeway overpass. I mean, as I think we were talking about something in a different context earlier this week, you know, it's cold outside and allowing people to just essentially flop in public parks and encouraging people to do that and providing them, oh, hey, you want to stay outside here? We're going to give you a sleeping bag or whatever. To me, that's just enabling a problem of behavior. Well, all right, MacArthur Square, If you can picture the Milwaukee County Courthouse, you've got the courthouse and then you've got the safety building, like where the jail is and where the courts are. And there is there's a park that's on top of and it's it's essentially a concrete park, but it's on top of the MacArthur Square parking structure. But it's a it's a park next to the Milwaukee County Courthouse. This hasn't been getting a lot of attention, but there has been over the last couple months a what I'm going to call a tent city that has sprung up where you have people that are living in on the park. They're living in MacArthur Square. So they've, And the um, most recent number of, of tents, there's about 40 tents now that, that are there where people are, like, camped out. And authorities are allowing them to live on, on the, in, in their tents in this public park. Now, you can argue about whether that's a good idea or not, especially as it's now starting to get colder. And then you have some of the charitable organizations that are out there that are facilitating this. They're saying, okay, well, we're we're trying to help place people, but in the interim, here's what we're going to do. We're going to provide them sleeping bags. We're going to provide them tents, et cetera, et cetera. 
Well, there's been another problem. Now, whenever you have these homeless encampments, there's always problems that arise. First of all, you have problems with violence. Secondly, you have problems with drugs because a lot of the people, not everyone, and maybe not even a majority, but many of the people who are out on the street are out on the street because they've got problems with addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever. There's crime problems that are there, and there are sanitation problems that are there. Now, I apologize if I'm going to be graphic here, but here is the problem that they have been having this tent city on MacArthur Square, which is right next to the Milwaukee County Courthouse. The people who have been there, they have nowhere to go to poop or to relieve themselves. So they are pooping on MacArthur Square um, or peeing on the bushes, on the sidewalk, whatever. Because and the argument is, well, well why don't they you know, try to go over to the library or try to go into the courthouse or something? And the argument is, well, they're afraid to leave their tents for any length of time, at least in some cases, because they're afraid that somebody's going to come in and steal their stuff. So they're, they're you know, and when you got to go, you got to go. So there are apparently people who are in this homeless area. They're they're peeing and pooping in in these public spaces. Okay, so you know you're, you're going down to the courthouse for your divorce hearing. Watch out where you step because you just, huh? What's that? It, that no, it's it's because you got these people that are there. So what's happening? What happened is the Hunger Task Force, and I think they do good work, the Hunger Task Force decided they wanted to get a, a special use permit, and they wanted to bring in porta-potties for the, these people that are living in this, this homeless tent encampment to make it easier for, for them to, to stay there. They wanted to give them the places to, to poop and to pee. And this has set off this huge battle down at City Hall with, okay, well, a couple of the questions are, first of all, you know, what What was the circumstance behind this, and, and were, was everybody up front as to what they were doing? Secondly, by by bringing these, these porta-potties in, which is a larger question, are you essentially facilitating this behavior? Are you normalizing this? Are you making it easier for the, the people to, to stay there? And it's, it's been the subject of some kind of really extensive and sort of heated kind of hearings that have gone on for the last couple of days. And I think where they've settled on is the mayor, who is not a, a fan of this and is not a fan of the tent cities. He's agreed to allow porta potties to be moved in for 30 days. He said, okay, we're going to approve a, a special, special one-time, one-off permit to allow some porta potties be moved in, but the 30 days and then at the end of that 30 days, they've got to be gone, and they're not coming back. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Seems to me here, here, here is the issue. You've got, right now, you've got f- approximately 40 tents that are there. You've got more and more that are coming on a daily sort of basis, and, and that's just kind of the reality. And the people that are there, like I say, some are homeless by choice, some are homeless by circumstance, and they're creating, again, a number of these problems that come with the tent cities, including, you know, where do you go? And apparently they're just going, they are literally, literally going wherever they feel like going. So you've got the feces, you've got the urine, you've got all these different issues. So you bring in the porta-potties, and it's a, it is a short-term 
solution, I, I guess, to part of the problem. Yeah, you don't you don't have to poop on the sidewalk anymore. You can poop in the porta potty and figure out you know how to clean it out and those sorts of things. But but this is not a long term solution. So at the end of thirty days, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do. Now, some of the advocates and the people who think these tent cities are are an alternative or a positive alternative to forcing people into shelters or whatever, they would say, hey, thirty days isn't enough. You know, what we need to do is we need to, like, leave these things here as long as people want to stay outside. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I, I, I understand that you've got a problem with homelessness. As I have argued, though, repeatedly, I don't think you're doing anybody any favor. Now, 30 days takes us to, you know, approximately like January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, whatever. It takes us to January of 2023. I do not think it is humane. I do not think it is responsible to allow people to camp, live outside in a public, what is effectively a public park area in January in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I I just, I do not believe that that is an appropriate sort of solution. And I further believe that, you know, you make it easier if you if you put in the porta potties and things like that. The priority needs to be, hey, we got thirty days, and at the end of that thirty days, the these tents need to be gone. Period. And if that means that some people who don't want to go into shelters because they don't like the fact that there's rules or whatever, too bad, they're going to have to go into the shelters because we're not going to allow them to live outside on January 4th of 2023 and risk freezing to death. And a solution is that here, we're going to give you a porta potty and we're going to have people come around and give you food and things like that. The priority needs to be to get people off the street hopefully long-term solutions, but at a minimum, short-term solutions like, hey, you know, go into the rescue mission or go into this church or whatever or go into this particular shelter. Or what New York is doing is when they have people who are mentally ill, they're scooping people up and they're, they're saying, okay, we're, we're going to take you to the hospital, mental hospital, and we're going to seek to commit you if, you know, you decide that rather than going to a shelter, you'd rather stay outside in a sleeping bag or a tent in January in New York City or certainly Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. All right, short-term solution, porta potties, tent city, next 30 days. Do you, should you allow it to continue beyond that? 855-616-1620. And again, the the other lesson is at least with the porta potties, maybe you, if you're going down to the courthouse, you don't have to be as careful watching where you step. What do you think? Should they get rid of is this a long-term solution? 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Yeah, my producer, Charlie, I gave the warning. I said, hey, we're going to be talking about, you know, poop in public and things like that, not necessarily fit for lunch, and he decides that's the time he's going to dive into his sandwich. I, I gave you the warning. If you're just tuning in, here, here's the deal. There is an increasingly large tent city, homeless encampment, which is springing up. Right now it's about 40 tents on MacArthur Square, which is the public park over the um, underground parking garage next to the courthouse and by the safety building. It's growing, apparently, by the day. Well, the problem is, well, meant one of the many problems is that the people that are now being allowed to camp outside, there's no bathroom facilities. And so apparently they've been 
just going wherever they feel like it, which is, of course, one of the issues that always pops up with this. You've got sanitation, you've got drug use, you've got all sorts of other problems. And there's a number of these organizations out there that I believe enable this by providing people with the blankets and the food and allowing them to maintain this. And so Unger Task Force moved in a bunch of porta-potties, and apparently there was some issue with the permits and things like that. So bottom line is the mayor has said, I'm going to let some porta-potties be there for 30 days, but this is a one-off. That's it. After 30 days, they are gone because we can't, I think, have this homeless encampment, which is there. I think the mayor is absolutely right. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I used to work in Madison. As you know, there's a large homeless population in the city. I would talk to homeless individuals that could stay in the shelters even when it was really cold, but they opted out because they didn't want to get into arguments with those who they didn't get along with, and they just prefer to have the lifestyle where they stay outside and a doorway or otherwise and not have to abide by the rules of a shelter. Right, and I I understand that's an issue. These are the people who are... And it's mind-boggling for a lot of us to think of, but they're, in many respects, they're, they're homeless by, by choice. And when I say homeless by choice, I mean, I understand they've got down on their luck, got economic circumstances, but some people are suffering from various forms of mental illness and things like that. And I firmly believe that we are not doing people a favor by allowing them to, again, during the winter months around here, flop outside. We don't allow the utility company to turn off people's power um, their their electricity or their natural gas from November through April because we think it is inhumane. All right, well, how in the world then can we allow people to live in tents um, on MacArthur Square? And and I'm sorry, no matter how you cut it, when you put in the porta potties and stuff, that that essentially enables that sort of behavior. Now, I understand the underlying problem is you got to move people out of there. And I think just like we did with the tent cities under the freeway overpasses a couple years ago before the Democratic National Convention was scheduled to come here, you've got to be doing that. And and whether it's, okay, we're going to do everything we can to try to find temporary housing, they were able to do that when they largely cleaned out the, again, the last tent city, or to say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, we're just not going to allow you to flop here. We're going to pick you up, and we're going to take you to the various shelters. Um, you know, no question about it. Jeff, I don't care about a long- or short-term solution. I want them out. Why is anyone living in a park that I pay taxes for the upkeep? Can I live there for free and not pay my taxes? No. <laughs> um, that's it. Um then, you know, I guess this, look, I appreciate this is it. Some people are saying people are homeless because they want to be. Not everybody. I mean, it's a very, very complicated issue. And I, I understand that. And you can't make, wave a magic wand. Some people are homeless by choice. And, and by that, I mean, again, they, they, they don't want to go into the shelters. They don't want to follow those sort of rules. And th- there's a mental illness component to some of that. Some people are homeless because of it's homeless because of, of circumstances, and for those people, I mean, we have to do everything we can to try to get them shelter. But the bottom line is letting people live outside and facilitate in, in January and facilitating that. And, and you know, why, why is it that people are, are pooping outside? Well, it's because 
in large measure, they, they don't want to walk a block to try to find some place inside. They don't want to have to go into the courthouse or they don't want to go across to the library or whatever. And so because they're afraid to leave their belongings that long. So that tells you that it's like, OK, well, if we if we leave our belongings, here's what's going to happen. You know, stuff's going to get stolen. Well, what does that tell you about what does that tell you about what, what the lifestyle is like there? You've got. For, for every person you've got there that's just like desperately trying to find that apartment or whatever, I think you've got other people who are in that kind of homeless by choice category or whatever, but it, it's not a good mix. It's a recipe for disaster. Jeff, you know, you're right. We need some sort of final solution. And, you know, to me, you know, that's, that's, that's it. Jeff, these people are going to be outside regardless. So why is it wrong to protect the rest of the non-homeless community from the, what their, their behavior is? No, I, I don't, I don't buy this idea that I don't, I think we enable people living outside in, in many respects. We make it easier for them to do it. And, and maybe if, if you didn't have outfits and agencies providing people with tents and providing them with food and things like that, maybe what they would do is say, okay, even though I don't like being in the shelter because they've got rules and they say I have to be in by seven o'clock at night and I can't leave till five o'clock in the morning and I can't use drugs or I can't drink, maybe, you know, maybe that's the ultimate, you know, responsibility that, that's there, and maybe that solves it. Jeff, isn't it illegal to do that sort of stuff outside? Well, yeah, it is illegal. Um, you know, ar- arrest them. Um, yeah, that's, um, you know, that's the whole idea. Jeff, I've been in the same neighborhood for 40 years, um, a Southside Garden District. We have a homeowner who has a grown child whom they allow to sleep in a car outside and then use the lawn to sleep and then use the yard to sleep along with fellow drug addicts. And, yes, there is all those problems that you're talking about. We keep our homes immaculate, but we have that situation that's there. And a number of people are arguing most people are homeless because they want to be, period. And that may well be, and it may well be, and I I haven't done a survey of the people that are living in these tents. I just know that that's that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the people who are patronizing the courthouse. It's not good for the people that are living outside in 10 degree below weather. And I don't think it's humane for society to encourage or allow it. So we got 30 days to figure this out is the bottom time. I mean, it's just the mayor has bought himself some time. And I think some of the homeless advocates are saying, well, nothing's going to be any different 30 days from now. My concern is once you bring in the porta potties, you've just now, instead of 40 tents, you're going to have 80 tents in, in another month. And the problem is going to get worse. Hope I'm wrong. But I think this message now is look, we've got a ticking clock on how much time people have to get these homeless encampments gone. But this is not a long term solution. Sorry.
If rates and inflation still rise, how will markets react? How much will a recession impact employment and earnings? Join WTMJ Steve Scafidi and Annex Wealth Management's President and CEO Dave Spano as they walk through expectations for the new year in a virtual webinar on Thursday, December 8th from 1 to 2 p.m. Inflation, bull markets, bear markets have all your 2023 financial questions questions answered on our virtual webinar presented by Annex Wealth Management. One of our texters said, did, did I hear Mike Spalding right? Did he say that the electric bill was going to go up $100 a month? Is he correct? I thought it was a $100 a year increase. Can you let me know? Well, yes, the uh, no, it's the average customer. The, the rates that we energies wanted like a 13% rate increase. And in their defense, and I understand there's people that hate utility companies, uh, part of that is because just costs are going up in general. And secondly is because with the pressure on coming up with the clean energy sources, they have to cost more to invest in that. But to answer your question, the average customer will not pay $100 more a month. The average customer will pay $12 extra a month for their electricity. This means budgeting an additional $147 a year. So that's no, it's 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 not going up a hundred dollars a month. You do not have to worry about that. All right, the final Jeopardy answer is Max and Luna. Now I know this this is a stumper because typically my my producer Charlie will try to guess this and he's, he's completely lost on this. And and normally, even though I, I don't ask for texts, normally I'll have oh about a dozen texts with people who at least have guesses. Nobody's got, nobody wants to wade in on, on Max and Loon. And I understand that's why it's a little bit obscure, but at the same time, this is your Friday fish fry conversation. This is going to be one of those topics that you will, I guarantee, discuss, especially, especially if you are a certain type of person. All right, I won't make you wait any longer. The final Jeopardy answer is Max and Luna. Max and Luna. The question is, what are the top boy and girl dog names of 2022? The new list is out from something called Rover.com, where they keep track of the names of dogs. And, and here's, here is the top ten list for boy dogs. Number one, most common boy dog name, Max. Number two is Charlie. Number three, Cooper. Number four, Milo, hmm. number five, Buddy, number six, Rocky, number seven, Bear, number eight, Teddy, number nine, Duke, and number 10, Leo. So that's the top 10 uh, boy dog names. The most common girl dog names, number one, Luna, number two, Bella, number three, Daisy, number four, Lucy, Number five, Lily. Number six, Zoe. Number seven, Lola. Number eight, Sadie. Number nine, Bailey. And number 10, Stella. So those are the, the top 10 both. I'll, I'll actually send out a tweet with this. Interestingly enough, there's a couple interesting things. First of all, all the girl names, they're two syllables. Every single one of the ones are, are two syllables. And the boy names, eight out of the 10, are are two are eight out of the ten are two syllables as as well right uh, no maybe seven out of the ten because you've got bear you've got Duke and you've got Max okay now my dog my dog Sasha 
know, she's probably going to be a little bit upset because her name didn't make the list, but that that's okay. Like it being a little bit of a unique name. But one of the other things that I noticed about the list, and this is what I'd like to discuss with you, is the fact that almost all of the dog names are people names, right? I mean, you just kind of go through the, the list. St- girl dog, Stella, Bailey, Sadie, Lola, Zoe, Lily, Luna, Bella, Daisy, Lucy, all of those, those are people names. You probably know somebody that, that's named that. Now, the boys' names, most of them, Max, Charlie, Cooper, Milo, all people names. Buddy, eh, Rocky, now Bear, Teddy, Duke. Now, Bear, maybe not. Duke, maybe not. But but almost all of these names are names of, of people as well. Now, I bring this up because... I got into a discussion, and let's say it was an argument with a person not that long ago who, you know, what's the name of your dog? Well, my dog, Sasha. Well, you know, why do you name, that's a person's name. You know, dogs are supposed to have names of, of something other than, than people. And I said, look, what do you mean? He said, well, like Spot or Fido or, you know, what, whatever. You, they shouldn't have names of people. And I said, well, that's, that's dumb. <laughs> I, I don't know why. We're, you know, my my dog's name is Sasha Aaron Wagner. That's the official. That's that's her official. You know, name. And it was like, I'm I'm trying to think of we we named her. Um, my late wife, you know, had had three names that she was looking at. She was a big fan of figure skating, and so it was like Sasha Cohn, who was a figure skater at the time. And there there were two other names. One was Mal. And the other one, I forget what the third name was. And I said, well, I'm not naming my dog Mal. I'm sorry. That just ain't going to happen. And I forget what the third one was. So we settled on Sasha. And, and candidly, my, my dog is, is a Sasha. And it, it wouldn't occur to me, it wouldn't occur to me to say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to use a, a people's name on this particular dog because candidly, my dog thinks she is a person. And candidly, my dog, you know, pretty much, and talk to my wife, pretty much rules the household. You know, when Sasha wants something, Sasha gets it. So I, I mean, I think of her as a third member of the family. And I just thought, huh, I, it would never really occur to me to, to, to not use a person's name. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Okay. For you pet owners out there, particularly dog owners, I've got the somewhere. I've got the list of the cat names too. But I, I'm I'm a dog guy. For for you dog owners out there, how do you decide? How did you decide on the name of your dog? And was it a person's name? Was it named after a person? Or is it one of those traditional things like okay, we're going to call him Spot or Fido or whatever? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Let's have a little bit of fun with pet lovers on a Friday afternoon. All right, what goes into naming your pet, particularly your dog? How did you decide to do it? Do you use people's names or something else? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in a moment. I actually love this topic, and I'm being swamped with texts, including people who are sending me pictures of their dogs, which I, I I love. My dog Sasha, she is such a Sasha. I couldn't I couldn't imagine her being anything else. And I just had the list of the top ten dog names, and and one of the interesting things is for girl dog names, they're almost all two syllables, almost all two syllables. For boy dog names, they're almost all two syllables, but they're also people names. And I had a guy not that long ago say, hey, you, you know, dogs should dogs should not be named after people. They should have Non-dog names, like I, I, I don't non-people names, like Rover or Spot or whatever. I'm like, nah, my dog's a Sasha. Let's start with uh, Pete. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, how Hi, are Pete. you? I'm good, thanks. Okay, what's your dog? How do you? Uh, what's your dog? 
Uh, we have actually he just passed away this, oh. this summer, but oh. his name his name was Ozzy, and he was named after the Prince of Darkness. But he's a little white uh, Bajan Shih Tzu, <laughs> a little snowflake. So kind of a little irony there. You, wait, wait, so did you did you know that were you going for irony when you chose the name in the first place? Um, I love music. Yeah. I like Ozzy, and I don't know. It kind of you know you get a dog, and sometimes the name just yeah kind of sticks right away. Yeah, no, I think they And by the way, I'm very sorry for your loss. Um, let's talk to. Jerry in Sussex. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, we decided to name our dog Sadie. We don't know anyone that had a dog named Sadie, and we got that name from Barbara Streisand's movie, Funny Girl, where she was Sadie, Sadie, pretty lady. Right, right, right. Well, you will. You were ahead of your time because Sadie is the eighth most popular dog, girl dog name, you know, in, in 2022. So you were ahead of your time there. Well, great. <laughs> Thanks for the call. 855-616-1620. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, my wife and I were listening in the northern woods Um Let's see. Um, we said if we ever had a dog, we would name it Ellie May. And now Ellie May just turned 11. All right. Steve says, here's a picture of Boomer. Well, okay, you've, you've got that. Jeff, we had our girls pick five names in my life they liked. My wife and I narrowed it down to three that we could live with. And then our family uh, voted. We ended up with Molly Bell. Um, we ended up with a tie. So we just combined the two names and we love it. So they couldn't split between Molly and Bell. A couple people are saying that the name uh, Max that that comes from the TV show New Amsterdam. They say that's one of the reasons why it's so popular. Ziggy and Marley. All right, there you go. Um, Jeff Memphis got her out of a rescue in Memphis, Tennessee, so that she became Memphis. Jeff, we have a yellow lab named Mona after the monkey in the Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Huh. <laughs> Uh, gee, Jeff, not just dogs, but cats, too. Our 12-week-old kitten is named Burgess after Kim Burgess from Chicago PD. PD. The name suits her personality. Um, 855-616. Let's talk to Michelle in Waukesha. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff Wagner. Hi, Michelle. Um, I, uh, I lost my dog in the divorce. His name was Dexter and I currently have a cat named Delaney. Okay, where did the where did the name Dexter come? Where did the name Dexter come from? They both came from when I rescued both animals. That's just the names they came with, and okay. they stuck. Okay, all right. Where is your is your current dog? Is is that is it a Delaney? I mean, is is the dog Delaney? Does that well, fit? My, Delaney is a cat, oh, the cat. Okay. and he's a terror. <laughs> and Dexter, Dexter was the dog, but right. unfortunately, I don't have him anymore after my yeah. divorce. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I, I was kind of wondering about where you chose. When, when I see, see Dexter, we're talking about naming things after TV characters. All I could think of was, huh, Dexter was that serial killer on that on that Showtime, you know, that HBO show. But that's it. All right, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to. Let's see, we've got Bob in West Bend. Bob, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hi, Bob. Yes, hi. Uh, My name is Tom. Okay. Anyways, so so anyways, uh, I just want to let you know, I named my dog uh, Lambo, or Curly (laughs) Lambo. 
Oh. But, but another thing is, it, it, of, uh, the, the reason why I named him is because the person that I got the lab from was from Chicago, and his the dad's name was Buckus, so I had to name it Lambo. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, I, I think no thanks. I think that that's. I think that that's true. See, that, I, I love the history behind this sort of stuff. And I mean, that's why I, I told my story. Like I say, I, I had a choice of like three names when we got, when we got this little Pomeranian and, and I'm like, okay, for some, there was a, there was a figure skater named Mao and my wife said, okay, my, my late wife said, okay, that's one of the choices. Now, no, I'm not naming the dog Mao. That, that's it. And I really, I forget what the third one was, but you know, Sasha was the easy one. And, and this, my dog is, is definitely, she's definitely a Sasha. AJ in Greenfield. AJ, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, I had a dog named Spot. I had a dog named Jinx. Okay. But when, we, when I got a dog for myself and the kids and such, uh, we named him Rover. And the reason and people say, well, that's, you know, it's yeah. Rover. That's the dog's name, right? Well, I, I, I would I would respond by saying, do you know anybody that has a dog named Rover? And uh, <laughs> Rover was a great dog. We had him for 17 years. Yeah, yeah. It, okay, well, you're, you're right. I mean, thanks. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I do not, I do not, uh, I do not know anybody that currently has a dog named Rover. That That's exactly right. Matter of fact, and there's somebody in the next, you know, subdivision over who walks their dog who has a dog named Sasha so I thought that was kind of unique but no I I don't know anybody that has has a has a rover let's talk to uh, Roy in McGuanago Roy you're on WTMJ good afternoon good afternoon Mr. Wagner this is Roy the rock guy okay hi Roy yeah. sure I remember you gave me a rock at uh, State Fair I pre- I still have that on my desk yeah that's the last time I talked to you absolutely <laughs> yeah we uh got a new little shih tzu 13 years ago, and the grandkids were watching Curious George, and the little puppy was running around, sniffing everything, so we just named him George. And it stuck, huh? No, that's, no, that, that's yeah, I mean, it, it it's just so funny. Now, thanks for the call. And, and Roy, I remember Roy, Roy, he... he personalizes like rocks. He has them, and he puts them in a glaze, and he, he brought out Wagner's Rule of Life number one, his life is tough, get a helmet, and he put that on a rock, and I, st- honest to gosh, I still have it. It is sitting on my my desk at home. Jeff, we named our dog Abby after Abby on NCIS. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's it. Jeff, we have two of our cat's names. The black one that just passed was named Eartha, after Eartha Kit and Mandu, as in Cat Mandu. Um, there you go. We had a yellow lab named him Hogan after Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing where these different names come from. Jeff, here's a picture of our two dogs. People are sending me dogs. I love to see it. Little one is Chubby. The big one is Echo. And uh, both were rescue dogs. And those were the name Chubb. Chubby got uh, his name because he eats like a pig. Um, Echo is thirty pounds. Oh, that's very cool. I see. I, I just. I, I. I love. I love this. I have a Jeff. I have a female cat that was born on Halloween. I named her Jinx. Okay, that's uh, that's that's very very good. Jeff, my dog is Keegan. 
um, always had C or K names unless they were a rescue. No significance. I just plain liked that name. Jeff, we were able to get a male dog, and we wanted to name him Arnie after Arnold Palmer. But um, after that, we ended up with a female, and she became Winnie after his wife. (laughs) There you go. I see all the great stories. Jeff, we have three dogs, Michael, Marilyn, and Scarlett, but they're all people's names. I think that's the thing. Jeff, we had a shepherd named Sasha. Great name. Yeah, see, and the thing is, Sasha can be a boy's name or it can be a girl's name. Jeff, for us, it was Drifter, named after Clint Eastwood's High Plains Drifter movie. Uh, My brother Steve was a big fan of that let's talk to let's see eric in horicon hi eric you're on wtmj hi jeff we got an older german shepherd female we named her nikki and we have a puppy uh uh tricolored corgi we named archie and when nikki passes we archie's named after archie bunker when nikki passes we're going to get a female corgi named edith and she's <laughs> enough, we're going to call her dingbat <laughs> well, that's that that's you're, you're you're channeling your your inner all in the family there archie and edith okay one more call let's talk to eileen in milwaukee eileen you're on wtmj Hi, Jeff. How are I, you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, pet names. <laughs> so we got this this male cat, a uh, big old guy, and I decided to name him Copernicus. Copernicus. Okay, and four syllables. All right. <laughs> such as such as Nicholas Copernicus. Uh, yep, 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 yep. The, the astronomer. Yep. And way back when, I was taking a course in astronomy, and when I heard that name, Nicholas Copernicus, I'm like, Copernicus would be a great cat name. If he looks like a smart cat. Now, what's actually more funny is that name fits him because he's a, a smart aleck. And, <laughs> but this is what's the funny thing. I thought several years later, my mom did one of those uh, tests to figure out your heritage. Right. And she she's in Arizona, and she called me back, and she says, "You're never going to believe who we are." So they say are related to. Copernicus. And she said, it said Copernicus. <laughs> okay, do, 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 you have a, do you have a shorthand abbreviation? I mean, do you, do you call the cat Copernicus the full name? For the most part, okay. but we, he is also known as Perny. Okay, Perny. I think, I, the reason I say that is that that's one of the reasons. I mean, people tend to select short names. Two, you look at the most popular names, and all the girl dog names are, are two syllables. And I'm, I mean, like Sasha or, you know, thing, things like that. It's simple. Copernicus. For all the times I have to call the, if, if my dog was named Copernicus, I mean, it would just, it would wear me out having to say that. Lots of text on this, lots of pictures. I absolutely love it. Thought this was a little bit of a fun segment. We've got a couple other fun segments coming up. Don't go anywhere. Back right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spalding, I've done myself in because that last topic, we were talking about dogs' names, and and the text line just just exploded, (laughs) at least 100 texts. And and, and they're so clever. And I I actually, instead of doing what I normally do in the 2 o'clock hour, which is taking a little bit of walk and getting some water and stuff, I just sat here and was just kind of working through all these different names. A couple, a couple of creative ones. One of the and and 
I, I don't mean to imply that of the you know hundred plus, and they're just kind of like continuing to pour in text. We're getting that these aren't others aren't creative, but one uh, Guinness is they got a black lab and they call it Guinness, which I kind of like, like that. And somebody else uh, they named their dog Wilson. Apparently, it was like a white dog with like some some little bit of coloring. So it was after the after the soccer ball in the movie Castaway. Oh, I love it. That's Wilson. great. Yeah, I That's thought it was fantastic. And it just it's it's just you know. Clever. Somebody says dogs rule. They do. Um, okay, now you got a you got a dog. What's your dog's name? We do. Her name is Daisy. She was not named after the flower. She was named after an album by a band that my wife and I bonded over uh, when we were becoming friends in college. So, oh, yeah, okay, a, yeah. The album's Daisy, and we yeah really like the name. And the, and the album has like a, a wolf on the front of it, and so we figured out oh, we got a big black dog. Do you do you notice this was the one this was the interesting thing to me. Do you notice that the vast majority of these dogs' names are two syllables? When you I mean it's it's if you look at like the list I had of the top ten girl dog names for twenty twenty two, they were all two syllables, and seven out of the ten boy dog names were two syllables, and the other ones were one syllable. Uh Max and Leo and Duke. You know, but it's I, one of our texter, one of our callers was saying she named her cat Copernicus, and I, I, I get it, but that's that's a mouthful when you're the yelling at the dog. Name. Well, but yes. it's all, but it's also it's kind of a it's it's about Sasha. Do you have to go out? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, Sa- Sasha, do you need some water? Sasha, you're hungry. Sasha, what is it that you want? Sasha, why are you barking? If it was Copernicus, why are you barking? It would just wear me down. You know, it's just it's it's those extra two syllables. No, absolutely. I just think two syllables is more fun to say. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, my age, we. A lot of people have younger kids, and they're getting their first puppies or whatever, and they're letting their kids name their pets. And I just think kids like bigger words. Like I think they just like saying them and like to be creative. And so I think that's a really fun way to to go ahead and do it. But yeah, Daisy, I guess that are just two syllables too. It's better to better to yell, you know, when you got two <laughs> syllables. Well, that's it. If if it's a uh, you know if, if it's a long name, hey Michael J. Fox, come here, you know, it's just gonna <laughs> it's just gonna it's yeah. just gonna kind of wear you out. All right, so. Daisy and Sasha. That's what we got here. All right. Let us completely and totally switch gears. And again, we're, we're lightening it up a little bit for Friday. A lot of, a lot of real serious stuff on the program this all week because there's a lot of serious stuff going on. Um, I, when I was younger, not as much anymore, but when I was younger, I'd love to take road trips. And I, I'd love to get in a car and drive. And I would think nothing of you know, driving six or 700 miles. Now, the the allure of that is kind of left. For example, you know, when we go down to Florida in the winter, it's last year we, we drove down, this year now the car's getting shipped down and I'm, I'm flying down. It's, it's you know, because, you know, it's it was it was 28 hours to get from Milwaukee down to, you know, our place in Florida. And it was like, nah, that's, that's not, <clears throat> that's ex- that two 14-hour days is too long and you could spread it out more. But it, it was just, it was kind of tough. But I, I used to love doing that because I love to see the country. I love to <clears throat> stop at different places. Oh, let's get off the road here and there's the world's largest ball of string or whatever. I, I loved those kind of adventures. There is a different kind of adventure that, that some people are taking. I I used to, in another life, when I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the way it worked is um, if, you, if you were a federal prosecutor, you, you handled your own appeal. So you, you tried a case, you got a conviction. The, the first level appeal for us in Milwaukee was at the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. That was in Chicago. So I, in any given year, I'd be going down and arguing – I don't know, 10 or 15, depending on the year, 10 or 15, I might have as many as 10 or 15 oral arguments in front of the court. The 
in almost all instances, what I would do is instead of going down to Chicago and staying overnight or driving down and having to fight the, the traffic on the, the freeway and stuff and then figure out where you're going to park, I would take the train. And they used to, I don't know if they still do, I mean, they used to have a train that left like at 6.15 or something, 6.30 in the morning, and it would get you down to Chicago around 8 o'clock, and it would be perfect because I could just, you know, walk from the train station to the, the federal courthouse and would get me there in time for the, the stuff to start. And then if, if I got out in time, they used to have a, like a 1 o'clock train coming back, so you'd finish your argument. I'd grab a, a sandwich at Berghoff's, which was right next door to the federal courthouse, hoof it back to the train station and get on the train. I used to love using the train as a way to go back and forth from Chicago. Matter of fact, my very dear friend and his wife, I know their um, their son was in Chicago from the East Coast, and they took the train down a couple Sundays ago and just absolutely loved it. You get out in the morning, you come back you know, in the evening. It was just perfect for that kind of day trip back and forth. That's different, though, than the long-distance trip. There is a huge story in the today's L.A. Times – I mean, when I say huge, I mean, it's like 24 pages. It's, it's, a, it's a book. I'm holding it here. Here's the headline. 34 hours on America's most scenic train. It is, is it as dreamy as it sounds? And it's a story about this reporter who decided to take Amtrak's Coast Starlight train, which runs from Los Angeles to Seattle. The train, it's 34 hours. So you're on a train for 34 hours, and what she decided to do is we're, we're not going to get a sleeping car. You know, the sleeping cars are like 700 bucks. We're not going to do that. It was like $200 for a ticket to go from Los Angeles to Seattle, 34 hours on the train. Now, at one point in time or twice, I think the train you know makes a stop, and you can get out and kind of stretch your legs and stuff at, at a thing. But that's 34 hours. If you were to go, let me pull this up. If you were to go from Chicago to Los Angeles, which is 1,744 miles, that's on the, um, let's see, the, well, the California Zephyr is Chicago to San Francisco. That's 51 hours and 20 minutes. The train from Chicago to Los Angeles is 44 hours. And there's lots of people that do this. And it's not and it's not necessarily because of, of the expense. I mean, you know, you could you could um there's there might arguably be cheaper ways that you could go, but it's because they enjoy the concept of train travel. The the idea of, hey, let, let's take a trip, 34 hours. You know, we, we want to go up the we want to go up the Pacific coast you start in Los Angeles, you get some spectacular sunrises, you get some you get some spectacular sunsets in particular. So it's 34 hours. What the heck? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I think the longest train trip I have ever taken, and it really, I mean, it was nothing compared to that. I remember, you know, back when I was in college or after college. For some reason, I had some friends that I was meeting in St. Louis. So I I thought it would be fun to take the train, took the train Milwaukee to Chicago, switched trains to Chicago to St. Louis. And, and, you know, that was an okay experience, but obviously it, it wasn't so much fun that I decided I wanted to do it again. All right. The idea of 34 or 41 or 51 hours on a train, 
Does that have an appeal to you? If so, why? If not, why not? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. See that train, the midnight train runs both ways. See that train, the midnight train runs both ways. See that train, 855-616-1620. That's my producer, Charlie. Okay, we got we have train songs. I thought you were going to come up with maybe like, um, I, I don't know, Midnight Train to Georgia or... You know, there, there's all sorts of different things, but uh, City of New Orleans, that's the one you picked. Okay, 855-616-1620. Story in the L.A. Times about these this reporter who decided, what, what's it going to be like to take a, a long train trip? So she and her partner booked a trip starting in Los Angeles up to Seattle, which, you know, all along the, the Pacific Coast, it's 34 hours. And it's, it's an interesting story about the experience. I'm not sure she'd do it again. She said, you know, the, the, the problem is, you know, they, they didn't book like a sleeping room or anything. That was like 700 bucks. They decided we were going to sit up the, the whole time. And she said the, the um, she said there was kind of an issue with the restrooms as time went on and things like that. 855-616-1620. Let's start with David and Racine. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Good afternoon. Okay, have you taken a long train trip? Uh, we have. We did. Uh, we actually started in Racine and we ended in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, so we took uh, from here. We went down to Chicago, and uh, so of course you didn't get you get Union Station, which is this glorious old right. you know transportation hall, uh, and then uh, the the trip. It was thirty plus hours um, on the train stop a couple times, like you had said. We loved it, um, and we did not get a we did not get a sleeping uh, berth either because it was too expensive. Uh, but they had several uh, observation cars, and you can kind of spread out. We had a table; you kind of spread mm-hmm. out, and you know, read a book, play cards, get a beer, you know, watch the country go by. Uh, I found it was one of those rare times in life when you you can actually kind of turn everything else off, yeah. and you're still productively going somewhere. Yeah. How long ago you did know? you do this? And, it's uh, probably two years. Okay, all right. Just before COVID, I think. Yep. Would, would you do it again? Um, yeah, I think so. As a as a kind of one off, we flew out and we we trained out and flew back. Right. So I don't know if I would take the train all right. the way back again. Right. Um, but uh, but for one, you know, evening of sunset, sunrise in the yeah. morning, seeing the desert, desert Southwest, and all that. You bet, loved cool. it. Cool. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see, Don in Chicago. Don, good afternoon. Yeah, hello, Jeff. Thank Hi, you for taking my call. Sure. Did you do this? I, I yes, I I have done it. I've uh, done. I'm down in Chicago. I've done uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, and the uh, the Chief. Uh, is that way. is that really like fifty hours? Is that that's like fifty hours, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. A little <laughs> bit, maybe a little less, a little less, and uh, no sleeping car. Okay. How and um, what was the best part of it? Um, just the uh, you know the, the the waking up. I did it during the uh, summer, so you have a lot of daylight hours right. and just uh, waking up to the sunrise and just and just uh, walking about the train. Um, mm-hmm. And you're not confined to your seat; you right. can go to the uh, observation the, car, um, the lounge car, and the obser- observation car. Would you do it again? Yes, I would. Okay. I actually did a, another trip. I did the uh, Empire Builder uh, from Seattle to Chicago. Okay. Okay. And that was like, that's like 40-some hours, I think, something like that. It's, 
It's re- yeah, it's about it's about the same. Almost. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, now, did you do it both ways, or did you train out and then, like our last caller, then fly back, or vice versa? Yeah, I flew back. Yeah, <laughs> I did one way. Yeah, I, I, thanks. For, I mean, I understand that it might be kind of fun as a a novelty, and I I could I, I could I'm sorry, I should have asked him whether he did it by himself or with someone else. It would be, you know, I, I mean, I could. I don't know if my wife could put up with me, like you know, in a in a non sleeper car, like sitting up. Uh, not sure she'd be able to put up with me for you know forty hours solid, but it might might be a kind of a test of our relationship. One of the things that the the woman who who wrote this piece in the L.A. Times said is that if they had to do it again, they would definitely bring food. They said you know the food was it, it was it was food and it was kind of edible, but she said they would definitely bring a lot of their own sandwiches and stuff to help them get through. Let's talk to Craig in Waukesha. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Great topic. Thanks. Okay, have you done this? You've done this too, huh? Yes. Um, we have a son that lives in Seattle, and we flew out to see him a couple years ago and then took the train back with one of these sleeper arrangements where right. you have an upper and lower and, and the top bunk folds down. And right. That's what I got stuck with, <laughs> and um, it also included the uh, the food in the dining car, so right. it was very good food, and it was a, a great trip. I mean, right. I think the only thing we regretted was that we we got a lot of the time through the mountains during the evening. Yeah, but uh, other than, other than that, I mean, it was very relaxing and. Uh, yeah. Just got to see a lot more than you would have otherwise. Yeah, if you've got time. No, thanks. I mean, if you've got time, that's great. Jeff, I recently, I, I, this is, I think, maybe the same trip. Jeff, I recently took a train trip from Milwaukee to Denver. Nice scenery, but very difficult to sleep and coach. I wouldn't do it again. However, a day trip west of Denver would be spectacular going through the Rockies. Yeah, I do think, I, I, I mean, all I can say is, when, you know, once it gets dark, you know, when, I'm, for example, this, this Pacific Coast thing, I'm sure that that the the sunset over the ocean has got to be just absolutely spectacular but <clears throat> at the same time you know then then you've got all the <laughs> then then it's dark and it's kind of like okay well we're we're in the dark there's nothing to see here so i would imagine summer might be a a fun time to do that let's talk to michael in manitowoc hi michael you're on wtmj well good afternoon jeff good afternoon sir pleasure to talk with you thanks um my wife and I got married. Uh, we're both um, uh, on our second marriage, but uh, I had always wanted to take a train trip. And so we, she, in her infinite wisdom, realized that all the places that we really wanted to see on the way going west were all at nighttime. And so coming back, everything was, uh, anyways, what well, we did three hours to fly out to Seattle okay. uh, nonstop. And then we took the train ride back and it took us two days to, to do that. But cresting through the, the, the Rockies was right at sun, sunrise. Uh-huh. And then also we went through Glacier National Park. Right. And that was uh, about 10 in the morning. So it was, was very nice. Um, we took a sleep at, I think it, it was like a, I think the previous guy talked about it had like a full down sleeper above, which if you're claustrophobic, it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> it would have been nice to have like a um, like a skylight or something like that to watch the stars, but that wasn't the case. So since we were on our honeymoon, we just snuggled. Um, but, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and then you know we got three square meals a day, and the, yeah. the dining car was was really 
uh, exquisite. The so, food was good. Well, that's good to know. I mean, thanks. It's, it's the story that in the L.A. Times, and I, I don't. Again, she said that if you had the sleeper car, you'd be in a position where you could make reservations for the for the dining car. Um, but otherwise, it was kind of catch as catch can. So I, you know, it, it's it's just an interesting alternative. But I, it, it really. I mean, it's, I, I've just always been, I've just never had the time to, I mean, when I, when I go on vacation, I like to get there. But I mean, I think it's an interesting way to see the country. And it, like I said, I don't know that it's necessarily that, that inexpensive anymore, although the way to do it is obviously to, you know, if, if you don't mind sitting up in the coach seat and for, for 30 some hours, if you don't mind that, that's obviously the, the more inexpensive way to do it. I, I'm not sure that that's on our bucket list or not, but it's kind of an intriguing possibility. Time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. It is that time of the week, Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. A delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. I had one of their new stuffed crust pizzas the other day. It was absolutely outstanding. And as a sponsor of this segment, one caller, it's not going to be a texter, but one caller in the complete and total discretion of my producer, Charlie, wins our Palermo's pizza prize package, which is... Uh, it's a coupon good for two frozen Palermo's pizzas and a really cool Palermo's pizza cutter and all sorts of other stuff as well. So that's in exclusively in his discretion as to who gets that prize. All right. Well, I, I acknowledge today's topic is is maybe on, on the surface it's a little morbid, but there, there's a there's a, a message behind it. Yesterday or two days ago, the, the news broke that Christine McVie, who was you know one of Fleetwood Mac over the year. I mean, the Fleetwood Mac as a band goes back to the 60s. But obviously the most popular incarnation of Fleetwood Mac was the, the mid-70s edition where you had Mick Fleetwood and you had Christine McVie and she was married to bassist, bassist uh, John McVie and Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. That they that I think they, that version of the band formed in like 1975. And even though it was just a, a huge, I, I guess, personal mess where you had Buckingham who was dating Stevie Nicks and they were breaking up and there was Christine McVie and she was married to John McVie and they were breaking up and there was all sorts of drugs. And it was just, I, I mean, apparently, I mean, it was a real soap opera, but at the same time they created, I think you can make an argument that those the two albums that they created, um, their, their Fleetwood Mac, what they called the, the first album that came out in like 76, and then its follow-up rumors, those those back-to-back might be two of the best albums of all time. As a matter of fact, after she passed, I, I, I get when I get ready in the morning, I, I sit and I have my music on, and I, I, I listen to both of those. Uh, last two days, I've listened, I listen to both of those two albums just kind of back-to-back, and it, it's just incredible. Uh, anyways, Christine McVie passing away at the age of 79, and she was – you always got the sense, and who knows exactly, but you always got the sense that she was the most normal and grounded member of Fleetwood Mac, but she's responsible for a lot of their, their big hits, and she wrote and was one of the lead singers on Don't Stop, uh, you know, Don't Stop Believing, which is – arguably their their biggest hit. Um, but she's had a, a number of, she was instrumental in their success and apparently was really a great lady. And she, she passed away much too soon. All right, so what we're going to do for Pop Culture Corner this week in recognition of the passing of Christine McVie, 
My question is, artists, a musician who you wish was still around, a, a musician who you wish, boy, I would have loved to have seen what what he or she or what the band would have done had their had had their life not been cut short. Now you can argue for Cena McVie's life was you know, she made it to seventy nine. But there's lots of musicians who died early because of drugs or because of the road or because of um you know just, just various ailments and stuff. A musician that you wish was still alive today because you would have loved to have seen what he or she would have done moving forward. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. All right, musicians that are gone, not forgotten, and you wish were still around. I've got a whole long list. I'm curious to hear from you. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Our topic, in recognition of Christine McVie passing a couple days ago, uh, a performer, a musician that you know really left the scene too soon, and you would have loved to have seen what that performer would have done had they lived longer. Let's start with Rob in Green Bay. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey Jeff. Hi, Rob. You know, just like just like uh, Christine McVie, I, my my uh, my answer is Jim Croce. Mm-hmm. Jim Croce was Jim Croce was an amazing songwriter, and one thing that maybe a lot of people don't know is that I Got a Name was released. That, the day before he was killed in, his, in the plane crash. Oh, really? Okay, because I know they had, um, you know, his, his, one of his most popular albums came out posthumously after they had passed away. And thanks, I'm, I am, by the way, a huge Jim Croce fan. He, he died at the age of 30 in a plane crash in 1973, um, and he was just really starting to, to develop. I mean, I think ultimately there were five albums worth of music, but um, Time in a Bottle, and, and there's just, I Got a Name, which just so many, uh, so many great songs. You don't mess around with Jim. Um, you just, bad, bad Leroy Brown. You do wonder, and, and his career is very, very short. I mean, because he really, he, he started like in the 66, 67, but it was really... That only about two or three years that his career was really blossoming. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got uh, David uh, in Glendale. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Happy happy Friday. Yes, sir. Same to you, sir. I would say Prince. Uh, he just seemed to, he disappeared for a while, and then he disappeared from the planet. But I right. think he had a lot more to offer. I think he would have come back when he got out of his hole and he had a lot more to offer yeah no there's um there, there's no question incredibly talented uh, i watched i watched purple rain just the other night not that long ago prince passed away in 2016 so i mean he's been gone for like six years um 42 50 58 years old um but definitely just an incredible incredible talent let's talk to let me see we've got merck and merce in river west hi you're on wtmj Hi, Mr. Wagner. Hi. Um, I love that era of music, but um, Buddy Holly. Yeah. You you know, that's Buddy Holly was so very transformative that, you know, I mean, he, the early era of rock and roll. But you just you wonder what he would have done if, you know, he had not died at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, thank. I mean, no, there, there's no question about it. I mean, he was just, he was one of these sort of transformative kind of musicians. Um, I, we're going to get some more calls in just a second, but let me just, uh, let's see. Uh, Prince, 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 
Richie Valens. Um, my choice would definitely be John Lennon. Yeah, you just you do kind of you wonder how you wonder what Lennon's life would have been like if he hadn't you know been shot in nineteen eighty whatever that was nineteen eighty three. Um, you wonder what it would have been like because you gotta gotta believe that he would have sort of emerged. He had just come out with the Double Fantasy album. You, you, you know, showing he still had a lot of creativity. A um, couple people, Tom Petty, uh, Meatloaf. Yeah, Tom Tom Petty passed way too soon. Here's a great one, Jim Morrison of The Doors. Yeah, you wonder, I mean, Morrison was kind of a train wreck at the end, but died very, very young. No question about that. Um, let's see. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, a lot of people mentioning Jimi Hendrix. Let's talk to... Let me see. We've got Francis on the east side. Francis, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, I think you may be on board with me on this one. Uh, yeah, anything Leonard Skinner. Yeah, Ronnie is, Van Zant. Ronnie Van Zant. yeah. Yeah. Well, and a couple others. Right. But, uh, you know, Cassie and everybody. But right. um, I assume you've seen the uh, Behind the Music with Leonard Skinner? Yes, Yes, and there's also like a two, there's also like a two hour documentary movie. I forget what it's called, but I've watched that a couple times. It's streaming around, and you really you 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 understand what a driving force um, Ronnie Van Zant was in, in particular, and how he kind of created that band, and how everybody kind of fell in line behind him. Yeah, and, and he was absolutely could could pick a fight in an empty phone booth. Um, <laughs> right, win or lose, you're exactly right. Win or lose, Francis. I'm I'm on board with you, and my producer Charlie is as well. You are our winner this week of our Palermo's Pizza Prize Package. So um, enjoy a couple pizzas on us. We appreciate it. Rock and roll, man. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. Rock and roll. I love it. Um, let's talk to let's see Dennis in West Dallas. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. I just wanted the pizza. Stop joking. <laughs> but seriously, how about how about Harry Chapin? Yeah. I mean, come on. I talk about you know a crazy way to die. You know, having a truck roll up on you. You know, right. And a heart attack all at the same time. Right. You know, he passed that away at the age. Of, and, and you think about some of the great songs that he had. I mean, "Cats in the Cradle" is probably oh, yeah. you know, and "Taxi." Right. I mean, th- those two songs just kind of. They, they perfectly captured the time. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for calling. As much as I, I okay. like, as much as I'd like to see him, there's one thing that we could see that I think would be interesting. Three of my favorite bands: Rush, Yes, and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. All have members who have passed away. I would love to see those three bands get together as a conglomerate call themselves tribute and play each other's music it would be phenomenal <laughs> thanks for the call have to think that one through yeah let's talk to uh let's see i want to get to as many of these as i possibly can linda in brookfield linda you're on wtmj hi hi linda um i thought the person i thought of right away was karen carpenter yeah i just remember like the albums that her and her brother did, they were like the type of songs that you would love the whole album. You could just sit there and play it and sing along all the way through. And, you know, it was especially tragic the way she died. Yeah, anorexia. Right. And that these days there's so, you know, there's treatment and there's so much more help. So it's just, when I listen to her music, I think it's beautiful but I also feel kind of melancholy. You know, it, it, it's it's funny you should mention that because I was, 
Gosh, I, we were coming home from uh, my stepdaughter's place on uh, on on Thanksgiving, and I had the radio, and I forget what channel it was. One of the it was one of the satellite radio channels, and and Karen Carpenter came on, and they were doing um, yeah. rainy days and Mondays, and and I I just I started yeah. thinking about you know close to you, top of the world, we've only just begun, yeah. rainy days and Mondays, yeah. all, all these just incredible songs and, and she was that the her brother you know he, he arranged them and stuff but she was really the driving musical force behind him right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, it's a beautiful voice yeah taken way too soon no question about it and a number of people we have three callers on the line who wanted to uh who, who wanted to mention that let's talk to tony in fond du Lac. tony you're on wtmj well one of mine's gone already but i'll say janice joplin and I was saying Jimi Hendrix, but right. then I thought about it, uh, the breakup of Led Zeppelin because of the death of uh, John Bonham. Yep, John, right, John Bonham, who, uh, you know, it's funny you you mentioned, like, Janis Joplin, who I, I agree with. You wouldn't, I mean, for all I, I've, I've, indica- I've, I've read and stuff, she was just a complete and total train wreck, and that was a bad time to be a train wreck. Bonham was the same way. These people were so incredibly gifted, and you just wonder if they hadn't, what would have happened if they hadn't gone down that that dark route and you know gotten stuck with the gotten hooked on drugs or whatever? You just and that that whole rock and roll lifestyle. You wonder what what it would have been and how much great music they would have continued to make. Yeah, exactly. Especially Janis Joplin. I yeah. mean, she had such a voice. Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, let me see before we wrap up. Mama Cass, Patsy Cline. Janis Joplin. I'm going to throw in John Prine. I, I'm a huge John Prine fan. John Prine, who uh, you know, passed away about a year or so ago. I just, I, I'd love the opportunity to, um, you know, just see one more John Prine concert. And in that rant, Steve Goodman, who died, uh, just, uh, you know, the Chicago songwriter, you know, great folk singer who passed away. I think he had, it was leukemia, I believe, um, years ago, um, just taken way too soon. Um, Harry Nielsen, that's one of ours. I absolutely, Tupac Shakur died at just the age of 25. Um, you know, Glenn Fry, front man for the Eagles. Yeah, Glenn Fry would be that. You know, we, we mentioned this in a different context, um, earlier on in the week, but Freddie Mercury from Queen, you know, who passed away, you know, AIDS took, took him way, way, way too soon in the early 1980s, as I recall. But you just, you know, you think back on, on all these different musicians and, and Christine McVie, I mean, she, she was able to survive the rock and roll lifestyle, and you know she passed away of, of essentially natural causes. I think at the age of seventy nine. But all these people that we're talking about, whether it's it's the road, it's the plane crashes, it's the car crashes, or whether it's drugs or or whatever, you just wonder what they would have been like. A number of people are mentioning Elvis, of of course. You know, if Elvis hadn't died in his forties, what what would a sixty year old Elvis have been? Would he have been six hundred pounds, or you know, would he have gotten his act together? We, we'll just never know. It's one of those mysteries trees of life. Thank you for participating. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all the calls and lots and lots of texts. I read them all and I enjoy them. I appreciate your participation. That's Pop Culture Corner for this week.